Future Self Podcast, Episode 28. Find what you would do for free. You know, if you could truly do it for free and money didn't even exist in the world, then you know you found your passion. This is the Future Self Podcast. He's your host, Robert Ingalls. You know, I should totally start a podcast. If you have ever said those words, then you are in the right place. I am teaming up with Advent Coworking to bring you Advent Podcast University, Charlotte's first comprehensive podcasting course designed to take you from your idea that you have right now to being on iTunes in four short weeks. Now, whether you're a hobbyist or you're ready to create a business and a brand around your podcast, this course provides you with the tools to bring your unique vision to life. Even if you're still trying to nail down that perfect podcast idea, we have you covered there too. So if you're ready to take your idea and get it on iTunes, go to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. Yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. Listeners, this week we are back with Mr. Ken Brokaw. Ken is the very definition of hard work and hustle. He is an entrepreneur, author, and business coach at levelingupyourlife.com. This was a fun episode to record and Ken brought a lot of value. So let's go ahead and jump into it. I woke up at like 3.30, just full of energy. And so when I woke up at 3.30, I was like, well, I'll do my bulletproof coffee and I'll kind of get into the courses. So I got into my courses and I got about four or five accomplished, probably recorded about two and a half, three hours worth of video. And then from there, uh, did a bunch of handouts. So I'm pretty stoked about the course. Oh, nice. And yeah. so are you just putting one course together right now and this is the whole thing? No, actually, I got a, a level up master course. And so that probably has about three hours of video and probably 10 or 12 handouts. And then they actually have access to three or four different mini courses, if you will. Uh, one is specifically on starting a business or scaling it for, to six and seven figures. Nice. Yeah. Dude, like I've looked at starting courses and doing things like that. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's such a time commitment that I, uh, haven't gotten into it yet. I've taken, I actually took Amy Porterfield's courses that convert course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a course on how to create courses. Okay. It reminded me of a story that I heard, uh, from a guy I was talking to and he said, you know, during the California gold rush that everyone went out there to, you know, try to find gold. And he's like, most of the people who ended up really getting rich were the people that were selling shovels. Yeah. So that's kind of what we think of course for people who do courses. You know, I've worked with a coach who coaches coaches. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I also find the value in it because they've learned how to to make something work. And obviously, whenever there's an area uh, that is starting to pop, there's always going to be the people who come in and are trying to sell snake oil. They just want a piece of that chunk. But at the same time, there's some really good people in that space. And Amy Porterfield is definitely one of them. I don't want to poop on her. I took that course and it was great. Awesome. Yeah. So what what made you decide you wanted to do that? Like where, you know, I kind of, I want to dig into the whole story, man. Yeah. I mean, as far as me building a course, you have to be an expert into what you're doing or you have to consider yourself an expert, right? So I would never build a course about guitar lessons because I'm the worst musician in the world, right? So right now. Right now, right? So right. if you build a course about guitar lessons, I might become, you know, the next guitarist for Aerosmith. You never know. Absolutely. Right. Mastery. Absolutely. But, you know, I was building a couple SaaS businesses and I was building out the processes and systems for those SaaS businesses. And I would have people come up to me and go, well, how did you hire? How did you do this? How did you do that? And I would give them the content 
of how I did that. And I thought, well, why don't I just build this into a course? And it kind of escalated from there. Nice. Now, for, for the lay listener at home, what is a SaaS business? Software as a service. Okay. And give us just a little, like, tell me about that. Yeah, sure. So software as a service is usually anything that's platform related. So um, back in the day, you would have these CD-ROM discs that you pop into your PC. It would take about five minutes to load (laughs) and then you install it, take another 45 minutes. But with today's technology, you're just able to sign up for a monthly fee for any service imaginable. And those type of software platform companies are one of my favorites. Yeah, super cool. So when like you went to college, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile. It's, you know, I always try to take a few minutes and see uh, what the background looks like. And, and it doesn't look like that's really what you went to school for, right? No, I went to school and I started off in architecture. Right. And then I switched from architecture to housing and urban development. And the only reason I did that was I wanted to quit architecture and go into the school of business. But I would have lost two years out of state tuition and Arizona State was extremely expensive and I was paying for most of my college tuition. So therefore, I was like, you know what? You don't need a degree to do business. I'm just going to go find an MLM company or internships to teach me about business. And then I'll get housing and urban development development because it's the closest thing to business in the design field as a backup. Right. There's a lot of foresight in that idea because most people think I have to go to school to learn business. Yeah. Uh, was there like how were you able to make that decision because so many people that are similarly situated would not have made that decision they said i want to do business and they would have went and they'd have figured out a way to get into business even if they went to a different school they would have felt like they needed to do business did you have an experience along the way that kind of gave you the aha moment that said i don't actually need to get a degree in this to do it i don't know if i had an exact aha moment but my mother was the driving factor for that my mother came from japan and she really didn't have an educational background. She was um, an alien immigrant. So therefore she couldn't get a lot of the jobs in the United States. So she started her own business. So she started cleaning houses. And so I saw that at a very young age, what entrepreneurship could provide. Um, And so I knew that you didn't absolutely need education to run a business, my mother being the sole factor for that. I've always been against a lot of educational programs out there. When I was in middle school and high school, I did the bare minimum that I needed because I knew once I graduate, my GPA doesn't matter. So I went to go research different colleges that I wanted to go to. I figured out what their bare minimum was. And I did that in high school and focused on work and gaining income in the meantime. Right. Nice. That was a, that was a really smart move. I, and you know, I talked to a lot of people who are in college or considering getting a master's degree. And one of the things I say is what is the goal? What do you know exactly what it is that you're going to do with that degree and how it's going to benefit you? And most of them don't. Mm -hmm. Most of them are still writing that same thing that I know I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was going through school, I mean, there was no other option but to go to college. You didn't do anything else. You didn't say, well, I'm going to start a business right out of high school and I'll learn these skills on the go. Like that was, you would have been laughed out of the room. No, no, no. Everything that we did was about trying to get into college. We would go... You know, we were doing our SAT prep and we would have to go to an SAT prep class because we had to get the right score so we could get into the right college. And none of that resonated with me. Like I just, I, I don't know. And I mean, I think part of it is because I just wanted to have fun and party and not have to worry so much about my future in that moment. Uh, so I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but the whole idea of it, of having to like climb these, climb this ladder, this, uh, you know, kind of society's version of success and it didn't make sense to me that everyone's version of success would be the same we all go to college and and of course now you look around and it wasn't a good idea to do that 
because now how many people have a master's degree and they're completely unemployable in the field that they have a master's degree in because the degree itself has been diluted. I'm not saying that they haven't got a proper education. I mean, I have a law degree, but I mean, I'm not really using it anymore. But at the same time, so many degrees have been diluted because so many different people have them now. So I say, don't take that because most of them are taking loans. Don't sit down and take forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars in loans when you don't even know what it is you're going to do to pay that loan off. Well, just like anything, you got to do an ROI analysis, right? right? So, I mean, if your degree is going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars and it's an art degree, you know, I'm not bashing on art degrees, but you have to be an extremely good artist in order to make it. And do you truly need that education to be the best artist? Right. You know, um, you if need you're, to go to that, you know, high end school to do it. Is there a state school that you can learn some of these techniques and skills at? Absolutely. And I was talking to one of my friends and he's becoming a brain surgeon. So he's probably, he's six years into school. He's got another two to three years left. Now you have to assume the ROI on that is strong. It's extremely strong. <laughs> I mean, he's in debt. Uh, when he gets out, he's got scholarships and a couple other things, but when he gets out, he's about $200,000 in debt. To most people, they'd be like, oh my gosh, $200,000, that's insane. But starting salary for a brain surgeon when you get out is 175000 Right, so he's going to pay that off in a matter of years. Right. Yeah. So it's all about the ROI analysis. Right, and and most people, A, don't do it at all. Like, I'll tell you, I'll be very frank. When I went to law school, I did no ROI analysis. I just kind of grew up with the idea that, that lawyers make money. And, and I'll go there, and I'll learn that, and I'll make money. And... You know, that was really short-sighted, especially going, I started law school in 2008, and, you know, that coincided, I think, a month after I started law school, the market turned down. And not to say that that's the reason for, you know, all of the problems that, you know, some lawyers are running into, but it's really saturated at the moment. There are, there are a need for less lawyers. Just the way technology is evolving, some lawyers are becoming obsolete, and less lawyers can do more work now as well with software being what it is. And so the demand for lawyers went way down at a time when law school admissions were at a record high. And now on the other side, you're starting to see that there's multiple law schools that are looking to close this moment because there's just too many lawyers now. Yeah. And so I really wish I would have done a market analysis. You know, I didn't even understand what that all meant for the most part at that time. But if I'd have done that at the time and somebody would have sat me down and I'm not blaming someone else for not doing this for me, that's not my angle. It's just, if I would have understood what, the market kind of forecast was and what was kind of coming on the horizon because the writing was on the wall at that point. Yeah. Uh, then I would have made a different decision. And so one of the things I like to do is make sure that other people are at least making an educated decision when they do it. Absolutely. And I don't know how old the listeners are on this podcast, but if the, if you know most, someone, in, I think most of them are around 75 to 80. Perfect. Perfect. You know? So, you know, if you know someone in college or if you're in fact in college, I challenge everyone Go into the, like the career office or your counselor and start asking them questions. I remember when I first did this, my first year of college, I brought a bunch of questions to the counselor's office and it wasn't questions about what courses should I take or should I take this course over this course? The questions were, okay, how many students get into upper division for architecture? What are my chances of getting in? From there, how many years do I have, do I have to, in order to get my degree, right? From there the ones who graduate, what percentage actually got a job within a year of graduating from Arizona State? And of those, what's the average salary? And the counselors looked at me exactly like you're looking at me right now <laughs> and had no idea how to answer those questions. And she said, I'll, I'll have to get back to you. I have no idea. Within 48 hours, kudos to her. She got back to me with those answers. And I found out that 
10 to 15% of the people, 10 to 15% of the people going into architecture would actually get a job after they graduate within, within one year. And that's in a related field, right? The average salary was $35,000. And I was looking at about $120,000 in debt. No way was I going to do that. So at at that moment, I switched my major. So uh, what happened that caused you to even have the, the forethought to write this list of questions up because I'll tell you, man, at that age, I would just wouldn't have put that together. I just, Oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to go do it. And you sat down like someone with a doctorate (laughs) and were like, explain to me the ROI on this. I need to understand it. You know, like, was there, was there something that happened along the way? Like, were you learning something on your own time? Did you have a mentor? Uh, I had a few mentors and, um, they were actually business owners from all of my part-time jobs in high school. So I never, and still to this day have never worked for a large corporation for longer than two months. Right. And so I've always worked for small business owners. And so when I was in high school, I worked for an ice cream parlor. That was my first job. And then after that was a tanning salon, but both were small business owners. Was so that, was that kind of by design? Like, did you get into corporate world and say, this isn't for me? No, no. I've always known the corporate world is never going to be for me. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Well, me too. You know, I've always kind of danced to the beat of my own drum and Growing up, I mean, I was always like this. I question authority and just why I need to understand. I just always wanted to understand. That's why everyone's like, you should be a lawyer. You love to argue about things. <laughs> uh, and But I would have jobs, and usually I'd do okay while I was there. But then something silly would come up, and, and I would kind of have a problem with it, and I'd kind of demand answers. And eventually, if you ask enough questions, the answer just be, a lot of times becomes, that's just how we do it. Yep. That's just how we do it here. And that was never a good answer for me. And it still isn't. It is still not a good answer for me because I don't even allow myself to give that answer anymore. I, you know, if I'm doing something and I realize that, you know, that habit or that behavior is not serving me, it, it, it was really hard as a younger man to, to kind of analyze that and say, what the hell am I doing? I need to change this habit or behavior. And, and now I'm, I'm kind of ruthless with myself when I am up to something or I have a system in place in my business and I realize I don't even know why I have that system in place. I probably just saw someone else do it and thought it was a good idea and never really drilled down into it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I had a lot of problems with authority going through school. And then, you know, but the generation I was raised in, that wasn't really okay. It wasn't okay to have to ask all these questions. It was, look, everyone has to eat shit. You know, I say that, I know I say it on the podcast all the time, but that's really the mentality that I, that I grew up with is, look, everyone has to eat shit. You got to eat shit too. And uh, thankfully, that turns out that that's not exactly true. Yeah, that's not the case um, at all. You know, there's plenty of opportunity to be a small business owner, to do your own thing, especially in the world we live in now with the way, I mean, it's gotten so small that you can have a niche of a thousand people that live in Southeast Asia, and those can be your customers. Mm-hmm. And you can live here in North Carolina. And it's just not the way it used to be. So, I mean, if you have a brilliant idea, it, there is so much room in the world to have that idea and bring it to the people. Yeah. There's really no excuse that you don't have the resources anymore. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you might say, I don't have the resources or I don't have the money. It takes 10 to $20,000 to start a business when that's not the case anymore. You know, a lot of the businesses that I've started is less than $500. Yeah. I, uh, I follow a blog, uh, called side hustle nation, uh, Nick Loper. Yeah. And, and that's the entire thing is here's how you can start making money with almost no money right this second. Yeah. 
And it's just amazing that you can just pick up the phone. Like I could pick up my phone right now, Skype someone in China if I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, when you walked in, I was on the phone. I was Skyping with uh, a guy I met at a podcast conference and he's in Costa Rica right now. And he has a job that affords him the ability to work from anywhere. You know, he created a life because he was working a corporate job and decided he didn't want to do that anymore. And he left it. And now he started his own firm and he is in Costa Rica right now. He's going to be in South Africa in December. And I'm like, man, that is the life. Yeah. You know, that's my mantra is to make sure that you're building a business around your life, right? Not a life around your business. Right. Yeah. And that's, did you ever read the E-Myth Revisited? Oh, absolutely. I love it. I mean, it's the Bible of business building. Mm -hmm. And what really resonated with me is art, you know, it is, I know I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but he, he talks, you know, are you building a job or are you building a business? Because if you're building a job, the moment you walk away from it, it doesn't make money anymore. And if you're building a business, you're creating structures that are going to allow that business to run in your absence. And that's very important. You shouldn't have to sit there because at a certain point, if you're just building a job, you're just creating a way to trade your money for time. Mm -hmm. And you have a very finite amount of time. And in order to start making a lot more money, you have to figure out how to make a little bit while you're not actually spending the time on it. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, so I recommend anybody read uh, E-Myth Revisited. And as always, anything we mention will be in the blog and on the show notes. So, um, So you come out of school, you decided you wanted to do business. Did you have any idea kind of what business that was gonna be? Like take us through that moment you graduate. What are your next steps? Yeah, so I was very fortunate. I ran into um, my lifetime mentor now. He took a couple of companies public. He's an angel investor now, and he really took me under his wing. So how did you form that relationship? Because I like to, one of the things I tell people is mentorship is something you cannot buy, but you can get it for free if you, do, if you go about it the right way. There are mentors out there looking to help people, and the way to leapfrog the competition is to by getting in with a good mentor. So, yep. you know, how did you develop this relationship? So this is this is a great story. So uh, I was still in college when I applied for this position and I probably shotgunned my resume out to 200 plus companies, right? And I finally get a call back and I have no idea what I'm applying for, what the position is. So I suit up, right? It's an interview. I take it seriously. And I walk into this elaborate setting where it's palm trees. It doesn't even look like an office. I have no idea if I'm even in the right place. I walk in the door and it's this gentleman's personal assistant who's interviewing me. And I can see people in the background just thinking, who's this guy in a suit? He's a college student. Does he know what he's actually interviewing for? And I, <laughs> I got the job. She called me about 24 hours later offering me the position, but I still didn't know what I was accepting. So I accepted the job because I needed money as a college student, right? And I go there the next morning and it's the it's a position for his personal assistant's personal assistant. So he hired a couple college kids to kind of take care of some landscaping stuff, some stuff in his home, wash the cars, that kind of stuff. Perfect gig as a college student. But it's not all about what you're doing in a part-time job. You got to you have to look at things in a different light. And so that's what I did with this position is that I knew he was in a position where I wanted to be in the future. So I notated everything he did. What was his morning routine? What did he do during the day? Uh, how did he treat his family? How did he get to where he's get where he is today? And so I would notate everything. And so when we would bring food to his meetings, I would notate who was in the meetings, what businesses and so forth. So one time he asked me, Hey, Ken, what do you want to do after college? I said, well, 
I switched from architecture because I didn't really want to pay the out of state, but I've always been interested in business. I noticed that you did this, this, and this, and I was able to list off all of his businesses, who he's been meeting. I knew everything about him. And he said, how long have you been studying all this? And I said, since you hired me. He said, well, I think what you should do is quit this job and let me put you into some of my businesses, see what you like more, marketing, sales, operations, and that kind of thing. So I was just part of one of his small teams that when he would invest in a business, we would go in and help him start that business and quote unquote, unquote flip it, right? So nice. It's like flipping houses. <laughs> you hear that, listener? That is that is information that is going to get you so far ahead in life if you take that seriously. When you go in, no matter what job you have, if you're the window washer, go in and see what the people who are successful are doing. Mirror their actions. Find out what successful people do. I saw Tony Robbins once and he said, you know, I found out what books poor people were reading and I didn't read those books. And, and, and there's so much to be said for looking at the habits and routines of successful people and understanding because it's not that one big thing they did that got them where they are. It's the things they do every day. It's not just the stuff they do in business. It's the habits and routines that they do in their personal life. And, and that's such a powerful story. Yeah. Because that's what I tell almost everyone that I mentor is find someone who is in a position that you want to be and find out how they got there. Because the worst mentors to have are people that are in a position that isn't in line with where you want to go. Yeah. And you got to set yourself up for success. So I hate people that say, oh, I can't find any jobs. There are no jobs out there. There are thousands of jobs out there. Go find one. And if it's not one that you particularly like, find a way to like it. So if you're if you're stuck in a rut right now, let's just say you go get a, um, a waitressing job. Right. right. You'll meet thousands of people doing a waitressing or bartending gig. Focus on the conversations and the people you meet as opposed to, oh, man, I got to go bring this guy his salad. Right. And and that's what I tell people as well. If you don't have a strong skill set that's going to get you into the kind of business you want to be in, A, start developing that skill set on your own. There are limitless free and inexpensive resources to develop your skill set. You can learn to code for free. Mm -hmm. And so start doing that. And then get yourself a bartending job. A, a job waiting tables because those are the jobs that it's essentially networking the entire job. So a lot of people want to talk to their waitresses. They want to talk to their bartenders and it gives you an opportunity to tell a hundred people every single day what your goals are. And you're going to run across so many people that are going to be able to help you with those goals. And people like helping. Mm -hmm. They like helping people who aren't asking for help. They just like to feel like, Oh, I know someone that you need to talk to because they see that you're hustling a that you're learning a new skill and you're speak you're you know you're talking the talk and you're also walking the walk but you're not too good to be out there hustling. You're not waiting for someone to give you a job. You're out there hustling your ass off waiting tables while you're also hustling in your spare time learning a skill. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Mark Cuban says that everyone should be required to do some type of restaurant gig. Oh, absolutely. And I, did, I agree with that. I did nine years in the service industry. Uh, I did kitchen, uh, mostly waiting tables just because there was more money there. And it just speaks to my personality. Mm -hmm. um, being stuck in the kitchen, it, it just wasn't for me. And, and so when I got out on the floor and then bartending really was one of my favorite things because it's very fast paced. You, you know, you have to talk to people, think on your feet, move. And, and it's just a lot of fun. Absolutely. You know, and I miss it. I miss all of the conversations I got to have with so many 
people by doing that. Like I told my wife, like every once in a while, I'm like, man, I should go grab a bartending gig again, just just for the fun and experience of it. But there's just not enough hours in the day anymore. Oh, I know, I agree. I was the worst bartender or waiter. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't carry a tray, so I would tell my manager, look, I'm not gonna carry a tray. I'll have to take two or three trips, but. I could sell. I mean, I could sell people and communications. And that's what bartending and, and waiting is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if they love you, they're going to tip you and, and they're going to come back just for you. Right. They don't care that you might have to take two or three trips to the kitchen to bring out their food. Oh, absolutely. And that's and that's what I say as well. As long as my server is nice to me, they're going to get a good tip. Yep. I don't care how bad of a server you are. Uh, that'll probably work itself out eventually because a lot of people don't have the same attitude I have. But at the end of the day, as long as you're trying and you're nice to me. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm going to hook you up. And uh, and hopefully, if you're also trying to do something great, I'll try to help you out with that because you're clearly not very good at this job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. And that's that's where networking comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. So, you you know, you took this landscaping gig and you end up parlaying that into a really cool position, it sounds like, in inside that same company. And what, what happened from there? Yeah, so I was with him and his quote-unquote teams for probably about six or seven years. Uh, he actually... Well, and let me back up. What kind of business was it? So the first one we were in was property management. And then the next one, so like I said, he would quote unquote flip businesses. So we would kind of go in as a team, help him analyze the business. If we could hire people for more full-time work, we would do that. And then we would go on to one of his next businesses. So his next business was a 3D printing business. Man, that was so much fun. Uh, we actually partnered with people out of Israel from an investment perspective. And so we were about to bring the first desktop printer for 3D printing to market, something went horribly wrong or something happened where the investment, I don't know if it didn't go through or whatnot, but um, we ended up exiting that company yeah. and doing an equipment leasing business. So I'm still in the equipment leasing business today, but one of his businesses I helped for about five or six years. Yeah. And the 3D printing business is a really cool business. I uh, Have you seen the documentary Print the Legend? I have not, no. Yeah, it's really cool. It's on Netflix, I think, still. And, uh, and it's just all about the rise of 3D printing because 3D printing's actually been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's just been in the last you know number of years that it has the technology has gotten to a point where it's been able to take off where you can have a desktop 3D printer. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, that's such a really cool space. And just every, it's exponential the way it's growing. Right. Really yeah. Like and that. so what I learned through his businesses is that it doesn't matter if it's property management, 3D printing or equipment leasing. As you can see, those three have no relation whatsoever that you start to learn the basic concepts of marketing, marketing, basic concepts of sales, operations, systems, and you can apply that to any business. And so when you pay attention to those type of details, and although I didn't like the property management or equipment leasing, I was like, that sounds boring to me. <laughs> but you just, you know, you start to love the process. You start to love the system of starting a business from nothing. And that's, that's where it gets fun. Very cool. So how did, you know, this job in Arizona parlay into Charlotte? How did you get here? Yeah. So, uh, that was actually when I decided to go off truly on my own. So I was always involved in startup businesses, but they weren't mine, right? I wasn't the equity shareholder. I didn't truly start them. I was just part of the startup team. And so I let the investor know, I said, Hey, I think I'm breaking off on my own. He supports me. He still supports me and went off to Charlotte to uh, partner with a couple guys here in Charlotte. Uh, but I hit a bump in the road when I moved here to Charlotte. Yeah, there's, and that's one of the things I like to talk about on the podcast, man, is because most of the stories you see are the glam. Yeah. It's the people that made it. And 
And I think it's important for people who are just getting their legs under them to understand your legs are going to get chopped off Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to learn how to walk again like that. So I I really like telling those stories. Yeah. So please. Yeah, absolutely. So I went back to, I went back on who I truly was when I came here to Charlotte. So I I came here to break off on my own, but I just really didn't want to go all in on entrepreneurship. I needed some type of security. So I locked in a high paying job. And it was still for a newer business, but it was still a job, right? I wasn't the owner. I reported to someone. You got a W-2. I got a W-2, absolutely. And with that W-2, I worked for about a year, year and a half, all while building up that side business, right? And all of a sudden, I thought to myself, well, this is great. I have multiple streams of income. I have this W-2. I have my side business that's starting to kind of catch some fire. I'm going to start another software business. So my friend and I started another software business. The company that W2'd me, found out about it, wasn't a fan, fired me. Really? Just because you started a side hustle? Just because I started a side hustle. It, that I mean, that didn't involve them. or wasn't cutting into their time. Wasn't cutting into their time. I mean, those people who know me know I work 80 plus hours because right. I absolutely enjoy it. And I assume that you know you weren't going directly competing with them or anything like Not that. Not at either. all. They in fact, didn't... it was probably going to be a helping, uh, a helpful product for them in the They just run. didn't like the fact that you were doing something else. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, uh, but the moment I got fired was kind of my aha moment. At that time, I had the choice to go and get another, I could get a six-figure job um, tomorrow if I really wanted to, you know. But I really didn't want to do that. I mean, I realized I was killing my body, my health, my relationships, all for that W-2 position because I was still creating that side hustle, the two side hustles. Um, And I was like, well, I'm not going to risk my relationship at that time. I was about to be engaged, uh, now married. So luckily she stuck with me and (laughs) I was really killing my health, you know, and in one, in my book that I just wrote, the introductory page is all about a crash that I had. I mean, literally in the bathroom floor, I collapsed and I'm a big health nut. I I go to the gym almost every day. I try to eat as healthy as possible, but I still collapsed. I had no idea what was going on. And that's because I was killing my body from lack of sleep, Red Bulls. And although this doesn't sound very healthy, I I do have a chocolate uh, sensation. So uh, uh, Ho-Ho's were my (laughs) go-to. Most of us have something like that. Red Bull and Ho-Ho's just to kind of get me through. And I would be at that office at one, two in the morning and stay there until about six or seven at night because I would commit myself to that W-2 job, right? But before before those hours and after those hours were committed to my side hustle. Right. But the moment I got canned, I thought, I can't go back to that. Yeah, there's I listened to this book called Essentialism. Really good book if you haven't listened to it. It's yeah, Have you? Yeah, yeah it's a great book. It really is. But one of the stories in there really resonated with me because I have a tendency when I have my mind focused on something. Like last night, I just I had something on my head and I needed to get it out. And I was up at 1 a.m. And I have a, I have a pretty strict schedule. I try to keep myself being in bed at a reasonable hour so I can wake up refreshed. And, and I was up so late. And I'm paying for it. I can feel it right this second that I was up really late, but I had to get it out. But I I have been prone to doing that through the course of my life, you know, just sometimes pulling an all-nighter when I I need to get something out. And there was a story in the book about, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's one of the most successful business people on the planet. And, you know, CEOs of huge companies, and he hit the same thing. Like, he hit a point where he was literally dying because he was stretching himself so thin and his doctors were saying, you have to stop, you have to stop. So then he was like trying to cut down. He'd take like two days off. 
And, and he was so burnt from so many years of doing it that he couldn't just take two days off. He ended up taking an entire year off just to get his health back where he wanted it. And it sounds kind of silly to someone who's never lived a lifestyle like that. But if you start doing that consistently over and over and over, it gets to a point where your health just deteriorates and you can't get it back from just a short period of rest. Yeah, it's the compound effect. Yeah. You know, so if you've ever seen the movie uh, Super Size Me, yeah, where he eats McDonald's almost or every day, actually, every meal, and it just compounds and compounds and deteriorates his body. I mean, that's what we're doing to our bodies every time we reach for that Red Bull or reach for that snack that we're not supposed to have. Yeah. So, you know, after, you know, after that bathroom collapse and after I got canned, I was like, okay, I'm all in on entrepreneurship. It's time. It's go time. Nice. I love that, man. So when you kind of jumped out there, was, was there any fear in saying, okay, now that W2 doesn't come in anymore, now I am solely responsible for everything. I mean, you'd already been building the side hustle, so there had to be a little comfort in the fact that they already had some establishment. But was there a fear at that point? Were you making enough income from them already that it was going to sustain you? No. Um, actually, the side income was doing fairly well and had an employee. So once my income dried up, I knew, okay, I have to support myself somehow. And oh, by the way, I have another person I have to support as well. He has a family, you know, he has people that he's taking care of. So it added even more pressure to me as opposed to, well, it's just me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, for the most part, you can create a life for yourself where you can get by on very little. Yeah. But yeah, when you start having employees to worry about and then, you know, you have got a fiance that was coming up Mm -hmm. to worry about that changes the game. And like now I have a daughter and that really changes the game. And so, yeah, there's there is a lot of fear involved. So what what do you tell someone if they're kind of similarly situated and they hit that kind of petrified moment? They're in a job they know that they can't keep doing forever. They know that they will be unfulfilled for the rest of their life if they keep doing this. What do you tell that person? Use that fear as motivation. I mean, you have to use that fear as motivation. If you're in a current job and you're not canned like I was, I would keep that job and make sure you build up the side hustle accordingly, build the systems and processes in place to be able to replace that side job. But like Grant Cardone says, I mean, income is income. Don't cut off your mainstream of income. Know that you hate the job. And once you hate the job, once you know you hate the job, then you have more motivation to build that side hustle to replace that income. Nice. So if you are in a nine to five job right now, start to map out all of your, what I call bare essentials, right? How much is your rent or mortgage? How much do you pay in utilities? Know exactly what you spend per week, even down to the bottle of wine, right? So if you're going to spend $40 a week on wine, know that, write it down, accept that that's what you spend on wine and know that once you add up all of those, that's what you need in order to quit your job and go all in. Nice. That's perfect. That's very actionable right there. So I'm not going to keep you here all day, but there are a couple of th- more things I wanted to know about. You know, you're starting, you're putting this course together. I know that you've written a book that's about to come out. Mm-hmm. Where along the path did you decide, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, but now I am ready to take that to the next level, you know, to quote kind of your book, Level Up in Life. When did you decide that you were ready to kind of take that step and start teaching other people this this you know the path that you learned? Uh, it's when I really dug deep into what I'm passionate about. And so when I thought about what I'm passionate about, I used to think, oh, it's starting businesses. I love starting multiple businesses, watching them flourish, and hopefully I can build up this huge portfolio, which is all well and good. But it got to a point where I, I just wasn't passionate about it. It was all about income or money 
just for those businesses, right? So my SaaS businesses, the software as a service businesses, that's all about income. There's really no future other than selling those and getting money. It's a business to sell, not a lifestyle business is what I say. So when I start to evaluate my life, uh, my marriage right now, we're planning on children probably in a couple of years. So I don't want to be that CEO that has to travel all over the country seven days a week and never see my family. So I needed to make a change now before it's too late. And so I started thinking about what was I passionate about? And I remember I was at an event and I literally had four or five people lined up to talk to me and I wasn't even the host. I wasn't the guest of honor. I was just attending that event and people were just asking me questions. Hey, how did you build that software business? How did you build those systems in place? Oh, you hired someone and now you're already pulled away from your business and you have someone else managing your hiring process. How did you do that? And so I was giving them tips and tricks and then the next person would come up to me and the next person. And I had so much energy after that event and it wasn't pertaining to the event at all. It was pertaining to the people that come up to me and I could give value back to them. So my passion is really to impact thousands and hopefully millions of lives out there. And that's what gets me up in the morning. Dude, I love that. I mean, I share kind of a unity of, of vision on that front of just the, that's the thing for me as well is digging into people's lives and helping them identify the areas that they're not happy with and putting a plan in place, creating habits and routines that are going to allow them to start living that life that is going to make them happy because they, a lot of these people, they feel like they're not the kind of person that gets to do that. Other people on TV and, and other people that are successful already get to do that. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. Cause I wanted to talk to people and drill down into the stories that actually got them where they wanted to go. And, uh, you know, kind of some of the growing pains along the way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I that resonates with me a lot, liking to help people. I mean, just one person. I mean, you know, I have one person in my life that I've helped. And looking at the life they have now and the degree of happiness that they have now, just every time I see it, it fills me up so much. And then being able to do that on a larger scale. You know, now that I've started the podcast, I get at least a couple messages every week from someone who is just like, that shit resonated with me. Uh, you know, I, you know, somebody texted me this week and, and said, I hate my job. What do I do? And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, there's a lot more that we need to talk about, but I, I love that it got, it motivated them to have that thought to say, mm -hmm. I don't have to stay here because the last few episodes I've talked to a number of people who have actually kind of gone through that where they were like, I have this degree and I, I thought it was what I wanted. I thought I had my dream job and then I did it and I was like, I hate this mm -hmm. and then they went and did something like radically different that had nothing to do with the skill set they developed which is kind of what it sounds like you did yeah you know you, you gathered this skill set and you said well it's too late to go back you know to to learn all this in college and spend all this money i'm just going to go figure out how to learn it in the real world mm -hmm. and that is valuable knowledge absolutely so you know i tell people find what you would do for free you know if you could truly do it for free and money didn't even exist in the world then you know you found your passion. Boom. I love that. So when's the course coming out? When can we see it? So the course and the book launch at the same time at the beginning of December, so December 10th. Okay, December 10th. Mm -hmm. And I had heard tell that there were going to be uh, maybe some uh, advanced copies of that book 
for a you know podcast host. Absolutely. So I'll have a <laughs> I'll have a, a link in your show notes that I'll give you. So it'll be levelingupyourlife.com backslash free and they'll get a free copy of the book actually. So it'll be a PDF download that they can actually get. All right, cool. So yeah, everything will be in the blog and the show notes. And then as soon as the course goes live, we will also put the link in there to check that out. All right, Ken, well, I will let you get out of here. But before I do, where can the listeners find you on social media, internet? What else are you up to that you want to plug while you're here? Yeah, absolutely. So you can just go to levelingupyourlife.com. All of my social media links are linked towards that. But it's just at Ken Brokaw for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Sweet, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. I appreciate it. Right on. All right, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ken Brokaw. I had a blast having Ken in the studio. I've known him for some time, but I feel like I really got to know him today on the microphone. That story of how he acquired his first mentor blew me away. That is something that belongs in the entrepreneur's Bible. I encourage you to take a page out of his book. Figure out where it is you want to go and start doing something, doing anything, taking the small baby steps to get a little little bit closer to your goals. Motion leads to emotion. So get out there and start taking those steps and they are going to build upon each other. So get out there and get after it now. All right, before I let you go, one quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking from idea to iTunes, and you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know that your time is your most valuable asset. So I thank you once again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now, until next week, get out there and get after it.